Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Jesus Christ has come to set us free. And really, that's what missions is about, setting you free to become all that God made you for what God made you to make sure I say it halfway correctly and what a concept this is Bert Harper along with Nathan Harper and it's our privilege to come to you each weekend on AFR and share with you what God's doing Uh, we do interviews but but then we try to put some biblical I, I would say knowledge to that to put it in context Nathan the subject today is liberty in Christ's ministries. The Bible has a good bit to say about the liberty, but Paul wrote about it strongly, didn't he? He did. One of the uh, maybe well-known passages about liberty, about freedom that we have in Christ is found in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Really, the whole book of Galatians is, is about that. But five, chapter 5 really lays it out as plain as it can be. Paul wrote really plainly. Did you know, Have you noticed how plainly he wrote in, in Galatians to the churches in Galatia? I think that had a little bit to do with the context of who they were. You had to be blunt with, with those people is what <laughs> I, I kind of get that picture. You mean there's a northern – no, I won't take that. I'll take that back. Those yeah, of you, us that are southern think northerners are more direct than we are. We – Peel the apple, they just slice it. So I mean, that's an important concept in missions, and we don't want to get off track talking about it, but some places in the world prefer indirect communication methods, and other places prefer direct communication methods, and you have to speak in the method of the people that are listening before they will understand, and that's what Paul, I think, was doing here. So he is pretty direct. Yeah, he was being direct okay. here. So verse 1 of Galatians chapter 5, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. I mean, he's just laying it out, right? Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace, for we eagerly await through the Spirit By faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. And that first verse about for freedom, Christ has set us free is kind of the concept there. But I wanted to get the whole picture of faith. It's not about being legalistic to the law, trying to obey you know, certain things, that's, that's what Paul is saying. If you're going to obey, if you're going to put your faith in obeying the law, your ability to obey the law, you have to obey the entire law, which we all know that's impossible. Sort of like if you've broken one, you've broken all. Right. So. And so if that's where you're, want, you know, you want to put your life into that basket and hope it holds you up, you have to make sure that basket's pretty firm and tight. And it's not. The law was never intended for that. The law was 
given about how we should walk, but faith was always the requirement for salvation, even in the Old Testament. And so that's what Paul is saying here. So don't go into legalism. And of course, don't the other pendulum swing the other direction. Don't fall into uh, a license of anything goes. It's all right. There's enough grace to cover whatever you want to do. You know, Paul talks about that in other places, but there's liberty in Christ. So it's not legalism. It's not license to sin. It's liberty that we find in Christ. Do you find it amazing that Paul would use these words in the New King James, and it still comes across what you said, stand firm, which means don't give. Yeah. And liberty, which has the idea of yeah. not being ruled and overridden by others. Yeah. So we're to stand fast in the liberty. Yeah. That you catch what and I'm that's saying. That's only in Christ. That only we can in Christ do that. can we do that. Yeah. So the world has a hard time comprehending yeah. the freedom that we have in being bought with a price and giving up on ourselves. Yeah. That that's a concept we don't get very well would would that be true in other cultures as well in america it's you know you know i'm a southern american and that concept it just intrigues me to hear it that i think that's the reason i'm drawn to this passage to hear it because it's like it's it's tension as dr david platt would say filled with tension and mystery mm. you know for as what you've studied in other concepts in other countries would would it be kind of opposed to one another, or do you know? I mean, I, mean, I, I, just... would, I would say human nature, nobody likes to be told what to do if it's against our own individual wills. Other cultures are more community-oriented a lot of times than we are here in the U.S., and so depending on the you know what it is, other people don't mind as much giving in to the will of the community, if you will, the will of the, the elders or, or whatever. But here, we're to give our will, submit our will to the will of Christ Jesus. And that's how we find freedom. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it is a paradox. It is a tension. And so nobody wants to be told you have to die in order to live. But that's what's, that's what's necessary. You know, and this is a little bit you know, of a different track, but it calls to mind an experience I had a few years ago. I was living in an apartment complex, majority that lived there at the time were, were Muslim people from uh, the Middle East or, or Northern Africa and some different African countries. We had people living there from Iraq and Syria and then also Sudan and Somalia. And uh, anyway, we were, my family were one of the, you know, only Christian witnesses living there, working there. And one day I was sitting out on the, the uh, front porch, talked to a few of my neighbors, but I was sitting there. I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but I noticed, and, uh, you know, I don't mind saying it was a group of Jehovah's Witness coming door to door. And if you've ever had that experience, you know what that's like. You know, people probably dressed up in nice suits and dresses and coming to your door to give you some literature. And, you know, they want to talk to you about their version of what they would call Christianity. But, uh, you know, it's a different, different thing altogether. However, I just had this picture in my mind, and I, I just— it was what it was, was here's one prisoner in their chains of sin and their religion talking to another prisoner in their own chains of sin and, and religion and trying to convince them to swap chains with them. You know, like, hey, my, try my chains on of this religion. It's better than yours. 
And I knew they wouldn't go very far, you know, like that. And, and sure enough, every, every time they were turned away at the door. And I was thinking only Jesus offers the key to unlock the chains. Wow. Switching, converting from one religion to another religion. Even if Christianity is your religion and you leave off the relationship with Jesus, that's still chains. That's still bondage. That's still slavery. That's not what we are in missions. That's not what we are called to do to, you know, swap out my chains for yours. It's freedom. It's Jesus will break the chains of the of the bondage that you're in. One more thing I want to do before we get to the interview in verse one. It says entangled again. Mm. You know, in the Christian life, things sometimes do not work out the way we anticipate. Just because you come to Christ doesn't mean there will not be disappointments. And when those things come, if you're not careful, you'll return to whatever the familiar is. I use that term quite a bit on the other program I do, Exploring the Word. But I've seen it again and again, people returning to the familiar. That's why you want to saturate yourself in the Word of God. Saturate yourself with good music, honestly. I, I can't sing, but music really touches my soul. And when I hear, like we were talking about the chains that you were talking about, first thing that came to my mind was some songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My chains are gone or the chain breaker. Mm-hmm. That's only in Christ. Yeah. No one else. You're not going to find it anywhere else. If you're listening to Exploring Missions and you have a form of religion, you go to church and, well, yeah, I go to church, so I'm a Christian. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about coming into a relationship with a living God through Jesus Christ, and he can set you free. He wants you to be free, not free to do what you want, as somebody said, but free to do what you were made to do. God has purpose. When I found out God had purpose for my life and he had direction for my life, it changed everything. It changes everything, doesn't it? Nathan? It does. It does. There's and there's freedom to move about <laughs> to do what God has called you to do. There's you're, more freedom in that than just to set out to do what we want to do to begin with. You remember on that train that we were leaving from Mississippi to go to Montana? We as long as we stayed on the tracks, we had freedom to go from one car to another car. Yeah. But if you ever get off the tracks, it's bad. Well, I want you to listen to this interview of someone to experience the liberty that you can only have in Jesus Christ. Our guest today on Exploring Missions is Patty Mason. She's the author of the book, Finally Free, but because of that book, God has given her ministry that is making a difference in people's lives. And, you know, when you think about missions, that's what it does. It brings Christ who makes the difference, deliverance who brings them out of that horrible pit, and that's going to be important later on, and sets their feet on a rock and puts a new song in their heart. Sounds like that would be a good thing for people, and we're going to hear about that story today. Patty, welcome to Exploring Missions. Thank you, Bert. I'm pleased to be here. And it is a joy to to have you, and we're here at the National Religious Broadcasters Meeting. We usually get quite a few uh, interviews here, and that's the case this time as well. And we appreciate you coming by and sharing with us. And so we want to talk about the book, but we also want to talk about the ministry that God's given you to. There was a time in your life where you were kind of in that pit, weren't you? 
That's correct. I was in my mid-30s. I was a single mom. I had everything this world deemed valuable. I had a husband who loved me, healthy children, a nice home, a successful career. And yet I felt very empty and very dissatisfied in life. Empty is a very important word, isn't it? There's a whole book in the Bible about emptiness and how God can fill that. And because of what God did in your life, it led to ministry to others? That's correct. That's correct. In Jeremiah chapter 38, it talks about Jeremiah being in the well. And I'm very familiar with the well, and I think that's a very perfect portrait of depression. Well, God taught me how to tie rags, how to take those ropes and rags that are found in the king's treasury, how to tie them together and reach into the wells of others who are suffering as I once was. And not only that, we also reach the caregivers of those who are suffering with depression. Caregivers. Use many, many times caregivers, not only the depression, but of illnesses and other issues. They have a difficult task, yes, they and do. I appreciate you bringing that up because sometimes I think that that we as Christians do not support them as much as we should, and mm-hmm. and let them know how much we appreciate what all they do. That's well, what we want to do for the rest of the program is I want you to tell your story okay. about what God has done in your life. You've already given us an introduction mm-hmm. of where you were, and it sounded like it was empty, but God did something. It made a difference. Well, tell us about it, where you came from and where he's brought you to. Yeah. Well, I grew up in church, so I understood that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I had heard about God, but I had no relationship with God. He was not Lord of my life. He was not my Savior. I did not um, understand the gospel message, if you can believe that, even growing up in church. So I had, had an abusive past, and so I believe that the depression started to develop in those formative years, because depression always has a root. It starts somewhere. It doesn't just show up one day with symptoms. So going on in life, thinking at the age of 18, I remember hitting a moment in life where I thought everything is going to get better now, because I was done with the abuse. I was done with the turbulent teen years. I was ready for a fresh start and a new beginning. So I went on this quest to find myself, and I started with travel, did a lot of exotic travel. I was a travel agent, so the world was my oyster. I dated a lot of men. I found a man who was deeply in love with me. We had three beautiful, healthy children. Like I said, I had a successful career. I had all these things that the world pursues, all these things that the world says will make you happy, and yet I was very dissatisfied. So I remember standing on stage in Dallas, Texas. I was uh, being recognized for one of the highest levels of achievement in the company. I was on stage before 10,000 people, all applauding and winning this award. And I remember hitting a wall. I remember thinking to myself, this is it. This is what I shipped my kids off to a babysitter for. This is what I did the changing of the guard with my husband for, this 10 minutes of hoopla in the sun. This is it. And I remember hitting a wall at that point. I remember crying on the plane all the way home. And from that time on, my life began to spiral down, just getting darker and darker with each day. I spent my days sleeping, screaming, and crying. Um, I began to lash out at our oldest daughter, who was only uh, six, six years old at the time. My children were six, four, and one. Um, just began to mistreat her. I turned to alcohol to cope. I uh, tried to fix myself for a long time, thinking that I could just snap out of it, that I could somehow fix myself to get better. I couldn't fix myself. So then I began to finally turn to family and friends. Now, this was huge for me because for a long time I wore a mask. My friends used to call me Perfect Patty because I always looked like I had it all together. 
Well, I didn't because inwardly I was dying, but I couldn't tell anybody that until finally I got to a point where I realized when I couldn't fix myself, I started turning to family and friends, only they couldn't help me. They didn't understand what I was going through. Some of them were like, oh, you'll just get over it. Well, I didn't. So I finally got to a point where I began to think if I could just get a pill, I'd be fine. I started to adopt this get fixed quick mentality, thinking if I could get to a doctor and get some medication, I would be perfectly fine. Well, I remember the day with phone book in hand, I went down the list calling one doctor's office after another, only to hear things like, I'm sorry, we don't take your insurance, or I'm sorry, we don't handle that kind of depression. When I got to the last doctor on the list, they finally said, I'm sorry, but we can't help you. And that was when the depression went darker, and I began to have thoughts of suicide. And how old, if you don't mind? I was 36 at the time. 36. So at 18, you thought Mm -hmm. you could, you'd be over it. Yeah. 18 years later, if I'm adding incorrectly, it really climaxed. Mm-hmm. That's correct. During that 18 years, did you recognize any of this, or was it just you covered it up and wore that mask that you were talking about? I had no idea what was happening to me. I just knew I was empty and dissatisfied, and I was looking for things to fill me, and it wasn't working. But as far as the depression went during those dark times, I just wore a mask that communicated to everyone around me that I had it all together because I didn't want people to know that I didn't have it all together. When you say wore that mask, Mm -hmm. I want you to develop that a little bit because I got a feeling we have people out there that are struggling with with Mm -hmm. depression. And uh, at certain times, they arrive, but when they're alone, it all comes crashing down. Was that your case? Uh, were you able to, I mean, you were still working, right? Mm-hmm. Receiving an award, but on the inside, empty and hard and difficult. Yes. Did anybody recognize this in you? Did anybody come and come alongside of you? And, or did, were you honest enough with someone else to let them know what was really taking place on the inside? Not in the beginning. When someone is depressed, one of the first things they do is they start to become recluse. They start to isolate themselves, which is really a dangerous thing to do. But it's amazing how the average person that you will see on the street, because of the way they look, because of the way they're dressed, because they have a briefcase in their hand, or because they have accolades or awards, we automatically think that that person has something and special or that they have it all together and actually sometimes the people who look have that persona are the ones who are most susceptible but there was no adult until I finally made up my mind to start reaching out to people no one knew I suffered in silence for a long time did you reach out to people that you thought might be going through the same thing you were going through or just somebody that you thought might help this was back in the mid-90s Depression was not on the forefront back then like it is today. You can't watch television today without a depression commercial. Back then, people didn't talk about it. Depression had a stigma. And I didn't know anybody at that time who was going through depression, or at least talked about it. And nobody gave you any hints that they were struggling the same way you were? None. But the truth of it is, we were probably surrounded by them. I mean, you know, when you really get down to it. Maybe not as severe. Well, depression has different levels. Did you see yourself going down all the way to clinical depression? Was there's this cycle that you followed? 
There are actually different types of depression, right. and not all depression is clinical. Right. I do not believe I actually reached a point of clinical depression, although I might have been diagnosed that way. Okay. But mine was far more situational. Mine was far more of grounded in my circumstances. Gotcha. Okay. So out of that, God sets you free. Yes. Tell us that story. This was a make-it-or-break-it day for me. It was December the 12th, 1996, and I remember getting up out of bed feeling like I had been ground into the ashes from which I came. There was nothing left. And I remember getting into the shower and crying out to God. And I remember telling him, no one can help me. Only you can help me. Please help me. And it was at that moment I heard a voice. And it said, go to MOPS. Now, for those who don't know, MOPS stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. Now, I had belonged to the organization because I had three young children, but I had been avoiding the meetings. But that day I thought, okay, I really didn't want to go, but I'll go. So I took my girls, put them in school with my one-year-old son in tow. We went to MOPS. And again, I put on the mask. I ate. I conversed with the other moms. I laughed and smiled and did a craft, which, by the way, I hate to do crafts. But I put on that persona that says, you know, she's got it. Because the last thing I wanted to do was to let the other mothers know that I was struggling with depression. I didn't want those nice little church ladies to know that I was on the brink of suicide. Because that was the day I had myself convinced, A, that my family would be better off without me. Mm. And I had myself thinking that if something didn't happen that day, I feared I would. I had reached a point where I was ready to take my life because I didn't see any other way out. So when you talked about earlier about finding yourself, Mm -hmm. you finally found yourself in this pit, Mm -hmm. in this difficult situation. Uh, I hate to say that. That's usually what people find when they find themselves. It's not as pleasant as they thought it would be, you know. But Christ found you, right? That's right. He did. That's the one who really needs to find you. And on that day, what happened? Well, I went to MOPS, and like I said, I went through the motions. There was a speaker that day. She didn't speak about depression, but she talked about lack of joy, lack of purpose, and how mm-hmm. the only pure joy is in Jesus Christ. Right. And I remember her showing us a brochure that she had, and she said if anybody would like to have this brochure to meet her in the back of the room. Well, I'm sitting there thinking the answer's in that brochure. So I watched her all the way to the back of the room, and I just followed her back there, and I just found my life falling at her feet. It was the most curious feeling. There was a love that came from this woman that I had never known before. There was a compassion that I felt from her I had never experienced before. And I just found myself dumping my life at her feet with run-on sentences, and I was crying hysterically. And But at this point, I had now caught the attention of every woman in the room who had proceeded to turn around and stare at us. But at this point, I didn't care. I had sensed this woman had the answer And I just, I needed that, what she had. And I remember she did not say a word to me. She did not pray. A lot of people have asked me, did she pray over you? What did she do? She didn't do any of that. All she did was touch me right here on my left arm, and it instantly vanished, all of it. The dark cloud that had been following me around for so long was gone. The nausea in the pit of my stomach was gone. My soul felt like it had taken on wings that could fly around the room. Everything I felt light because this darkness had just, in the blink of an eye, had just vanished. So with that, a ministry came out of this, of yes. ministry was birthed. Two women or all just women or men and women with depression? Well, we started out with women, but we minister now to men and women and youth. 
So this actually didn't start right away. I, I was about six months old in the Lord. Um, I had this because I wanted to share, too, that this had actually led me to the Lord because I'd shared earlier that I grew up in church, but I had no relationship with God. Well, as a result of this healing, about a week later, I gave okay. Jesus my heart. Uh, okay. So this was a, a true journey for me. Um, a lot of times depression, people think depression is the end. Well, for me, it was not the end. It was a beautiful beginning with the Lord. And so six months into this journey with the Lord, I got to share my testimony for the first time. And it was amazing what happened because there was a woman there who found herself there, didn't even know what was going on, didn't know the church existed, but she felt her car had just kind of drove there. And she heard my testimony and she came up to me afterwards and she told me that it was a divine appointment that God had brought her there because she was about to commit suicide. Oh, wow. And God brought her there to hear my testimony, and so she didn't commit suicide that night. So that's how it started with sharing my testimony. But about, about 10 years ago, the Lord laid on my heart uh, three verses. He, um, you know, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Right. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And so out of those three verses, we came up with a ministry name, which is Liberty in Christ. Right. Initially, we started reaching people who were suffering as I once was. You know, tying those rags together, as the Lord taught me to do, to reach into those wells and to help them to see the truth of Jesus Christ and that He does love them, that He does care about them. Because a lot of people who are battling depression are in such darkness, they don't think God loves them anymore. Some of them will even abandon God, turn their backs because they think God has abandoned them. So we started out with that, but then as we began to grow this ministry, we began to see there was a completely different need, or another need, I should say, and that was with the caregivers. There were people who were coming to me going, my mother, my, my husband, my daughter, help, what do I do? And so we began to also minister to people who are trying to help loved ones who are battling with depression, who they don't know how to offer them hope, they don't know how to communicate with them. So we offer workshops and we try to teach them and train them and how to love their depressed loved ones well. So these workshops are available, mm -hmm. and how can people find out about them, where, where they're offered? Yes. Um, well, we do them here in Nashville. Okay. The, the information is on our website at libertyandchristministries.com. There is a tab on there that says Equipping Others, where we do workshops for the caregivers. It's about three hours long. We give you all kinds of resources, tools. I do this with counselors and peer recovery specialists. We come in as a team. We equip you. We train you. We give you time to practice. You practice communicating with each each other. We show you uh, depression from a biblical perspective. We teach you and train you to understand depression, where it comes from, understanding that depression has a root. And it's getting them to understand where their loved one is coming from, because so often if you haven't battled depression yourself, you don't understand. And it can be frustrating, and it can be scary, and it can be overwhelming. And so we help to equip them also to minister to their soul as well, and to help encourage them in the Word to build them up and to understand understand their important role as a caregiver. And I just want to share with you, this is important because he can set the captive free. Amen. You don't have to stay in that pit That's and right. uh, he can put a new song in your heart. We've been talking to Patty Mason. She's the author of Finally Free and she ministers to libertyinchristministries.com, right? Correct. Dot com. And you can find out more information there, and you can be a part of that. And there's people listening that need that help right now. And some of them are caregivers that need to know that. And so you can be equipped. 
What a mission it is to help these people to be set free so you can be free indeed. Patty, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Bert. I appreciate being here. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. We pray that God would put that new song in your heart and that you would be able to share it with others. 